Let us begin our worship by singing together in God's praise in Psalm 67 of the Sing Psalms. You'll find that on page 84 of the Blue Book. Psalm 67, Sing Psalms, page 84. God be merciful and bless us. Shine upon us with your face, that the earth may know your actions and all lands your saving grace. O God, may the peoples praise you. May all people sing your praise, for you judge the nations justly, ruling over every race. May they sing with joy and gladness. May they all rejoice as one. O God, may the peoples praise you as they all unite in song. Then the land will yield its harvest. God will pour his gifts abroad. God our God will surely bless us. All the earth will fear our God. We'll stand and we'll sing these verses together. God be merciful and bless us. God be merciful and bless us. towards God in prayer. May we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this day that you have given to us and this opportunity to gather again under your word and in the power of your name in which all things are held together and which there is power unlimited and unknown in a sense to us the fullness of your power but we have seen it and we pray that we would know it in our lives as a power that is worth trusting in and a hope that goes beyond anything that this world can offer Lord we pray that as we gather here as your people tonight that we would know the power of your spirit that was left with your people, that it would still be active amongst us tonight and through the reading of your word, speak to us. Speak to our minds, speak to our hearts, speak to the deepest concerns that we have, speak to our worries, speak to our needs. For you know us greater and in a greater sense than we know ourselves. You know what is best for us as a father. 
who loves us, knows what is best for his children. And so, to whom else can we go? For if we go around chasing the schemes and methods of man, we have found out to our own foolishness that they are empty, and they leave us empty, and they leave us wondering what is there to this life? As many of us have asked that question, we pray in you we find an answer in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We thank you that in recent days there have been men and women in leadership over us who have read the gospel to the nations. Whether willingly or not, your word has been read and we pray that this reading would take root in the hearts of men and women who are in need. We thank you for the life of our Queen and how she gave you the honour and how she gave service to you, Lord, as her King. We pray for our new worldly King, that he would be one that would come to trust fully in you and confess the Lord Jesus Christ as his Saviour likewise. Lord, we pray for each of us in our situations, whether it be in school, whether it be in study. We remember the students who have left home for the first time. We ask you would be with them. We remember the ones who need to uphold their faith in you and are challenged by their faith. We pray that you give them strength to do so and encourage them in every difficult step that they take. That they would not be ashamed to say that I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Contrary to what this world thinks of Christ. But let that be true of everyone that is gathered here tonight also. That we would not be ashamed of the one who has redeemed us. As we look at ourselves, we see, and we pray that we see, sin in us. That we must confess. And the sin that is within us leaves us guilty before God. And in no way can we enter his presence because of our sin. And so we need someone to wash away our sins. Someone to pay the price of sin. And so Jesus Christ has been that man to us. We thank you for all that he has done. And as we come to look on your word, illuminate our minds, open our eyes, unblock our ears, to the sacrifice that was paid at Calvary and the love that Jesus Christ had in going to a place where he allowed men to spit upon him, people to mock him and ridicule him, people to hammer nails through his hands and leave him to die in such a terrible way. We thank you that that was not the end of the story. And you are one that has been risen. You are exalted beyond all men. You are the Son of God, as you showed yourself to be. So we pray we know you in a way that is personal to us, in a way that we can trust in you no matter what is said before us in our lives, whether we are in the depths of despair or whether we are walking with ease. Lord, we pray, you answer us in our need and meet us at our need too. We pray for Mr. McKeever as he takes rest and holiday 
We pray that you may revive them and restore them. And we pray for Callum or Smith as well, that he would settle in and the family to this congregation. And we pray that the preaching of the word would take effect in our town, for there are many that need it. We pray that you give us understanding on how to do these things and how to share the gospel in a way that is gentle and loving and not in ways that make people turn away from the hope that is within us. Lord, give us compassion for people and a love for the souls that are lost. Be with us now, we pray. May your spirit be with us as we look at your word. We ask these things in the name and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If we can continue in our praise of God by singing to him in Psalm 143 of the Scottish Psalter. You'll find that on page 439 of the Blue Book. Psalm 143's second version, page 439 of the Blue Book, from the beginning. O hear my prayer, Lord, and unto my desire, to bow thine ear accord, I humbly thee require. And in thy faithfulness unto me answer make, and in thy righteousness upon me pity take. We'll sing down to the end of verse mark 5, yet I do call to mind what ancient days record, thy works of every kind I think upon, O Lord. And we'll stand and sing these verses to God's praise.
we can turn now to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And we'll read from verse 21. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 21. We'll look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let us hear God's word. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have not, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him, to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he fell among robbers who stripped him and bet him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, And when he saw him, he had compassion. When he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Amen. May the reading of God's word be blessed to us. We'll continue in our praise by singing in Sing Psalms 92a. You'll find that on page 122 of the Blue Book. Psalm 92a. 122, and we'll sing from verse mark 5. How great are all your works, O Lord, your thoughts, how deep and grand, the senseless one does not perceive, the fools do not understand. Although the wicked spring like grass, the foolish do not see, that all who flourish in their sin will die eternally. But Lord, you are forevermore exalted very high, all evildoers will be crushed, your foes will surely die. You made me strong as any ox, with oil anointed me. I've seen my enemies defeat, and I have heard them flee. Like palms and cedars flourishing, the righteous all will be, and planted in the house of God 
will grow abundantly. We'll stand together and sing together to God's praise. How great are all your works, O Lord. Together back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And we'll look tonight at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And for, a te- for the text, we'll consider what the lawyer asked of Jesus. Saying in verse 25, Teacher, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? I wonder, did any of us do anything last week that would have justified someone saying of us that, well, you're a good Samaritan? Did we do anything for anyone that was not expected of us? And there are many of us here who know this story, this parable. And even if we don't know the story, we are quite familiar with people saying of someone that does a good deed that they are a good Samaritan, or what you did, you are like a good Samaritan, and what you have done for someone or in doing something for the good of someone else. And maybe this account, we have known it from our youth and 
can be guilty of saying that it is one of these stories that we know. And we've become so familiar with it that we can skiff over it when we read it. We know what happens in the parable. We know the outcome. We know it's a lesson to love our neighbor. And it echoes where elsewhere it is taught in the Gospel of Matthew. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And this idea and teaching, it's, it's beneficial for everyone. I'm sure we'll all agree. It's undeniably good, but undeniably, if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle to do the things that we would think a good Samaritan would do. And very rarely, we are the good Samaritan. We tend to look after ourselves more than we care for the needs of others. And there are many people in this world who would totally disregard this idea of looking out for others and only to look after their own wants and their own needs. And for those who want or desire to be as the Good Samaritan, it is a continual learning for us. For us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I think it would do us good every morning if we were to pray that we would know how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I'm sure that in every day we would find a new way to do that or to fulfill that in some way. And as we look at the account and the parable that we have before us, we can see that there are two distinct characteristics that come out clear to us. There's two hearts, in a sense, of two different people. We have a heart of contempt, and we have afterwards a heart of compassion that comes. So we'll use that as uh, points the heart of contempt and the heart of compassion. So beginning with the heart of contempt, this heart will be applicable to the lawyer that we meet at the beginning of the passage. It's also applicable to the priest and the Levite. But really it all comes back to the lawyer because this story was told in relation to him. And to feel contempt, well, contempt means to feel despised towards something or someone or to dishonor them in some way, even to feel them as worthless. That's what contempt means, to despise someone, dishonor them, to feel them as worthless. And that is something that we can see comes through in the parable that Jesus teaches and something that we can firstly pick out in the lawyer himself who comes. But as before we do that, it's always good when you look at these passages just to go back a wee bit to see if there's anything that we can pick up that helps us to understand the passage. And if you look at verse 21, it says, this is prior to the account, it says that in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. Particularly hidden these things from the wise and understanding because then, just a few verses later, in comes this lawyer in verse 25. And he would have been a Jewish lawyer. So we can understand as the Jewish people who used the Bible, Old Testament, as their law. This Jewish lawyer would have been in charge of their religious laws as well as their civil laws because they would have lived according to the laws of the Bible. So if there was ever a person that would be wise and understanding, well, here he is standing before Jesus. He knew the law of God on his fingertips and it would seem that 
Well, maybe he would agree that he was wise and understanding because it says that he came to put Jesus to the test. And straight away, even in that, there is contempt towards Jesus. There is dishonor towards Jesus because he's saying straight away, my wisdom and understanding is greater than yours. I can put you to the test and I'm pretty sure I'll catch you out. But the truth of Jesus' words soon becomes clear and it is fulfilled in front of the people's eyes that the wise and understanding don't get it in a sense. So we need to be careful ourselves when we think we've grasped the Bible or there are puts in the Bible that we understand. Because, well, in my experience, and I'm sure others can say likewise, that you can be surprised by what you learn in passages that are so familiar to you. Not that I'm saying that you learn anything new tonight. Maybe we will. What does Jesus ask of the lawyer? No, what does the lawyer ask Jesus? What was his first question there in verse 25, our text? Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This wise and understanding man comes and he asks, well, really the question of all questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? A million dollar question. If there was one that we could answer tonight, I'm sure we would love to know the answer to it. There's something in our desire to have eternal life that we kind of want to have eternal life. There's something that No matter how bad life is, there's something that wants a continuity, continuous of what we have to continue. And it says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity into man's heart. There's a desire for something more, for something to continue. But you'll see in the question that he asks that there is actually a small error in it. He asks, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Because there is nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. There's nothing we can do to gain a space or a spot in heaven in our doing as he came to ask them. And it seems to me like if you were there listening to this conversation, it would be quite an interesting and maybe entertaining place to sit or to stand. This wise and understanding man's come along and he's asked the million dollar question to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And they would be thinking, well, this man's pretty high up there to attain eternal life because of the man that he is. And you're just wondering to see, well, what's he going to say and which way is this going to go? And Jesus just seems to play along with this question, teacher, what shall I do? He doesn't make a thing of that. He just plays along with him. And he asks of the lawyer, pretty much saying to him in verse 26, you're the lawyer, you're the wise and understanding. What is written in the law and how do you understand it? How do you read it? And the reply that he gives comes straight from the word of God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then he goes to Leviticus. Your neighbor as yourself. You may have references in your Bible to these verses, where they come from. But if you you were to go to Deuteronomy 
And look this passage up. There's some error in not what he's quoted, but in a sense where he stops. Because if you would continue in reading what it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, it would continue and say that all these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. They shall be on your heart. And it's as if this lawyer is coming with all these things in his head. They haven't made an imprint into his heart because he's looking for ways to attain his salvation by what he can do. And the second reference in Leviticus, where his further question comes, he says, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. And when you go to Leviticus, you need to go back to these passages just to get a clearer understanding. When you go to Leviticus, it says, and references the sons of your own people when it speaks about your neighbor. So if he's a Jewish lawyer and he's thinking that he needs to love his neighbor and it references beside that in Leviticus the sons of your own people, he's probably, he needs clarity on it, but he's probably thinking either that this is his family, his own people, it could be the tribe, this right tribe of his own people, or maybe even the whole people of the Jewish nation. So he comes along with this other question of who is his neighbor, desiring to justify himself. And that justify himself means to clear himself, to prove himself just in all that he did and in all that who he loved, trying to work himself that space and what he can do to attain that place in heaven. He has a query over where the line comes in of his neighbor. Who do I need to love and where does my love, where can I stop? Hence, the Samaritan. Because this is the last person he would have had on his list of neighborly possibilities, on people that he would have wanted to love. Because the Jews and Samaritans had a kind of deep hatred between each other. He couldn't imagine loving this Samaritan or even being loved by the Samaritan. But we leave the Samaritan just now. We're not quite ready to go and meet him. We've seen the lawyer. Let us look at the parable. The story is told when we read from verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and bet him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. We have a man who had a plan for his day. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was likely a Jew. And why he went, we are not told. But he was robbed and left for dead. Now, there's a possibility here that this man, well, what I read was that the, it's quite likely that the priests and the Levites would stay in Jericho and then they would come into Jerusalem to work. And one of the people I read, I can't remember who it was, but said that it's possible that this person who was going to Jericho could have been 
a religious you know, priest, Levite, someone of that order. But he was robbed and he was left for dead. And along came a priest who you read passed by on the other side as if pretending not to see him. And so comes the Levite, does exactly the same thing, not wanting anything to do with him in a sense, turning a blind eye to his desperate need. That was evident. They have contempt in their hearts. They see this man as worthless. Even if it was someone of his own people. And I believe Jesus is maybe speaking to this lawyer in a way like that. Was this priest Levi someone that he would associate himself with more closely than others? But a point in passing also is that when it says that the Levite and the priest saw him, there's, there's more to it than just see and carry on, in a way. It's a different word than what is used in verse 23 when it, peaks, when it speaks about blessed are the eyes that see what you see. The word that's used about the priest and the Levite when they saw him it's more than seeing, it's, it's actually perceiving and understanding. So they, they saw and understood the plight of this man, but they continued on their way, which makes it worse in a sense, that they just saw it and carried on. And there are suggestions why the men reacted like this, that if maybe they came into contact with this man and he died, there would be certain Jewish laws that they would have to go through and purify themselves. And you can imagine if they're, in a sense, you can well, I don't know if this is right, but you can kind of imagine they've been in Jerusalem and now they're off duty. They're going home to Jericho. And they see this man in desperate need at the side of the road and it can be almost that, well, this has nothing to do with me now. This is going to be a great inconvenience for the plans that I have while I'm off. Or the plans that I have for this, even if this man, if I administer care to this man and he dies. It's all these selfish things. The love of themselves. They'd have to purify. There would be an inconvenience for them to help this man. And if he were to die, to purify themselves. This may well be the reason we don't know. We can't actually say. But they are both men that have been set aside for the works of God, the priest and the Levite. Ones that the Jews would have looked up to, and as we said, one that this lawyer probably found association with easier than if it was anyone, anyone else that Jesus had said. Jesus seems to make the case of maybe what you're not doing. You know... You're wanting to draw the line on what you can do. And it's not about what you can get off with not doing. There's no lines to loving your neighbor. There's no limit to loving your neighbor. And maybe today it speaks to the Christians that are gathered here under myself. Whoever we are, we can often fall into traps of selfish desires, selfish ambitions of what we want to do. And we don't want to get involved in things that we can say, that's got nothing to do with me. Stuff that will consume my time. Stuff that will be an inconvenience to me. Things that are going on in our nation that we don't want to get involved with. Because they're going to take up so much time and it could be such an inconvenience. But there is something maybe worth mentioning in passing as well, which I feel is, is well, it's not the point of Christ's teaching here, but it's just beneficial for us to note within ourselves and even myself that we can walk by things or people in our experience and we feel that we cannot help. Though our heart is rightly concerned for the person or their need, we just feel in ourselves and 
inadequacy. We think that maybe we hold back because we don't have a sufficient ability to help so much that we actually restrict or stop giving any help or rightful care that we have and should have for one another in loving our neighbour. We feel like we're not inadequate and then we actually do nothing. We don't know what to say, we end up saying nothing. We don't know what to do and end up doing nothing. And I'm sure it's something that we can all relate to. And it's something that we need to learn continually on how we must learn to love our neighbour. The lawyer got his answer to the question in the story. Maybe it was to shame the contempt he had to love others. Even, I think Jesus is maybe making a point to him and saying, you're asking, who do I need to love? And it's almost as if he's saying to him, you're like this Levite and you don't even love your own people. You don't even have a love for your own to his shame. And we have two people in this passage that show contempt towards this man and the lawyer himself. Contempt. And there's only one that shows compassion. So it's as if contempt in this world is far more common than the one that shows compassion. So let us move to the man of compassion. And this heart is applicable to the Samaritan. He is our example on how to love our neighbour. The story continues. The parable continues from verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Compassion was what was in his heart. Compassion, when you look it up, is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. I want you to imagine being the man who was robbed for a moment on the way. You had your plan for your day, all is going well, and then these robbers have approached. They strip you of everything you have on you, beating you to leave you in a position where you likely cannot move. You can imagine yourself being in the ditch on the side of the road, naked, embarrassed, unable to do anything for yourself. And you see this religious man, priest, approach, a man you know, and you think, well, great, he'll help me. But looks at you, understands your need, and walks on by. The Levite does the same. And maybe you think, well, this man's not so high up as a priest. Surely he'll help me. But he does not. He pretends not to see you lying there in the ditch. But then comes this man who you've despised. Someone who you've hated. Someone who you've rejected all your life. You've never had time for this man. And you think to yourself maybe, well, maybe you can imagine someone like this. Well, he certainly will not help me. This man that I've rejected. And maybe even the pride of your heart would say, I don't want help from this man. I'd prefer him just to leave me. And we can have idea, an idea of how this man felt. But it's a parable after all. 
It's a picture to help us. It's not a parable about contempt for one another because we can note that the Samaritan has no contempt towards the man that lay there. The Samaritan does not take the opportunity to kill the man because that would have been his opportunity if he had contempt against the man who rejected him, a man who had no time for him. He doesn't. It's a parable about a compassion. The Samaritan was one that he knew himself would have been rejected and still had compassion greater than any law. Set aside the thoughts of the day and let his compassion rule in his heart because compassion was his great motivation to do. That's why he did anything, because he had compassion. And what did he do with that compassion? Well, it says that he bound up his wounds, addressed the pain of his beatings, poured on him oil and wine, and uplifted him onto his own animal, took him to an inn, and it would seem like he spent the whole night with him, taking care of him. And even on his departure, his compassion provided for the costs till he would come back. Now, had the person that despised that you had despised done all these things for you, how would you feel? It'd probably be shame in our hearts. Yet thankful for all that he had done. Eternally grateful, because really you were half dead. You would have died if this man had not saved you. And it is truly a lesson where evil is overcome with good. And you know in yourself there's nothing more valuable in your, in your life to have it spared. So Jesus asked to the man, which of the three proved to be a neighbor? And it's simple. The one who showed him mercy, undeserved kindness, went beyond the thoughts of the day and loved his enemy. Jesus comes back in answer to his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Go and do likewise. To care, to love, to give, to supply in every way, warmly, willingly, unreservedly to your neighbor who is even your enemy. This is a challenge to us, as we said at the beginning. Because we don't, and I believe we can't, just go about deciding that we're going to be compassionate today. It's one of these emotions that comes from deep within our hearts. And in a sense, compassion has like an unlimited strength to it. Compassion moves us to do things that maybe we didn't think we'd ever do. Compassion compels you to do. But where does compassion spring from? Where does compassion come to move us to do? Because if we don't have compassion in our hearts, we walk by. Most parables have a single point. This one to love our neighbor. But this one seems to have a deeper level. And you can get carried away spiritualizing it. Every element that was done to this man by the Samaritan figure and his heart of compassion because it is so like Jesus himself. See, the story tells us what compassion does. It does not say that the Samaritan saw him and loved him as he would himself and leave it at that. As loving his neighbor as he would himself. It doesn't say that. It tells us what compassion does. Jesus describes what compassion drives someone to do. Where is the root of compassion for us tonight? The Lord is the Lord of compassion. Isaiah 55, if you want reading for your evening. The Lord is the source of all compassion. And he is one that has lifted many from the depths of this life. And yet there are many to be lifted by his compassion. Maybe we are people who were on our way and something has happened to us and robbed us. 
Because we know ourselves that there's much in our lives that make us sore. There is much in our lives that leaves us wounded, drained, injured, feeling like we can't move, and feeling as if we're half dead. And there are many people who have looked to other men for help, for their rescue, and well, they've done little for them. I wonder, do you know the compassion of Jesus Christ tonight? There are many people who have felt Jesus speaking to them. And maybe they have thought with contempt in their heart of maybe what we naturally do. And we say to Jesus, as he stands before us, I don't want your help. I don't want Jesus Christ to help me. Sometimes we feel because of who we are. He can't love me. Sometimes we feel because of what we have been in our younger years. That Jesus Christ will not care for me. Why would Jesus Christ save me now? After all that I have done and after all that I have been there are many who have said that, but I felt the irresistible compassion of Christ to lead them in their lives and to let Christ embrace them and show his love to them, that they become people who love him with all their hearts. Regardless of what you think of Jesus tonight or what you think of yourself, when we gather under God's word, he will stand out of it and stands before you tonight. Like the Samaritan, not in anger for all that you have been or all that you think you have been, he stands like the Samaritan with overwhelming compassion for you. And there is a compassion that silences every voice in your mind of the doubts and the whys of why Jesus would love me. And it's as if you would see the compassion in his eyes that says, let me do this for you. And truly see well, he is one that truly sees. He perceives, like the Samaritan perceived, really the pains of your life like no other and understands them like no other man so that he is one that says to you, I know where it hurts. And he says to you, let me bind up the wounds of your life. And he says that I have anointment and a balm to take away every sting in your experience. That ointment could be his blood that takes away the sting even of death. And he is one that lifts you and puts you in a place that was his a privileged place on his animal, as it were, and leads you to a place of refuge where all the costs are made. But he is one that does not abandon you. His compassion drives him back to you. Compassion, a deep sympathy or sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. And is Calvary not imprinted with compassion? Is Calvary not a witness to us of Christ's compassion for you? Where emotion of compassion for his people has that deep sympathy and sorrow for them because he sees the misfortune that we are in as sinners. 
And he clearly perceives that in a way that we don't see it ourselves even. And he sees the people as dead in their sins. Like the one that was dead on the road. Samaritan comes. Christ comes. He understands your need. But it's accompanied with a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Calvary cost Jesus. And that was the doing of his compassion towards you. That's what his compassion drove him to do. That he would alleviate the suffering of you. By taking away the sins of your life. Maybe it's time to stop pushing away the compassion of Christ and let him save you. Regardless of what we think of ourselves, may Christ's compassion tonight be overwhelming to us. For it is in that that we find the answer to the lawyer's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Let Christ save you. Let Christ take you. Go with Christ. Let him have all of you. He asks for all your heart, soul and mind. Because it's only then, when we know the compassion of Christ in our heart, that we have any hope to do likewise. It's only after we know Christ in our experience that can we do to one another. That what we can do and show compassion because Christ will dwell within your heart and I pray that he would be one that would be overflowing in it with compassion, even to love our neighbour. Pray these thoughts would be blessed to us tonight. We'll conclude by singing in Psalm 130. Psalm 130 of the Scottish Psalter. Find that on page 421 of the Blue Books. Psalm 130. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, my voice, Lord, do thy hear. My supplication, unto my supplication's voice give an attentive ear. Lord, who shall stand if thou, O Lord, should mark iniquity, but yet with thee forgiveness is that feared thou mayest be. We'll stand together and sing the whole of Psalm 130 to God's praise. Lord, from the depths to the egg.
in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we pray that we would know the compassion that Jesus Christ had for us in the state of our lostness and sin. And Lord, we pray that compassion be known in our hearts, the one that loved us so that we may love, a compassion that enables us only truly to do likewise. You are the redeemer of our souls and has shown us that the redemption and love that you have for us in the compassion of the cross. May that thought be set before us as we go into the week ahead. Be with us through the watches of the night and continue with us, we pray. All this we ask again. In the name of the one who has the power, who is your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.